The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. You're watching Squawk Box with Jeff Cutmore and myself, Steve Sedgwick. And these are your headlines. Tesla posts record profit with net income topping $1 billion. That despite taking a hit on Bitcoin volatility. But the CEO Elon Musk warns the semiconductor shortage is a major headache for the electric car maker. While we're making cars at full speed, the global chip shortage situation remains quite serious. Uh, for the rest of this year, our growth rate will be determined by the, the slowest part in our supply chain. LVMH sales jumped more than 80% as luxury demand returns with a vengeance. So with the Louis Vuitton and Dior brands leading the world's largest luxury group to a second quarter beat. And it's a rebound for sales at Michelin. The French tire maker is hiking its full year forecast after saying that demand jumped in the first half of the year but is warning of more supply chain challenges ahead. We're going to hear from the CFO at 8 Central European time. The work-from-home trend continues to boost Logitech earnings as the Swiss maker of keyboards and webcams posts a 66% rise in quarterly sales. The Chinese tech route, though, continues as Beijing takes aim at food delivery platforms this time. Whilst U.S. authorities warn mainland firms must disclose the risks of government interference. So let's pick up on that headline on Tesla then. We got a good look at the earnings uh, overnight. Shares modestly higher in the after hours trade after the electric car maker beat on its second quarter forecasts on both the top and the bottom line. The group also posting a quarterly net income of over a billion dollars for the first time. Vehicle deliveries topping 200,000 despite ongoing supply chain challenges, particularly around semiconductor to shortages. However, earnings took a hit from a $23 million impairment charge in the second quarter related to Tesla's Bitcoin holdings. Well, speaking at what he's described as his last regular analyst call, CEO Elon Musk said the chip shortage was the only factor holding Tesla back. While we're making cars at full speed, the global chip shortage situation remains quite serious. Uh, for the rest of this year, our growth rate will be determined by the, the slowest part in our supply chain, which uh, is a, a, there, there are a wide range of chips that are at various times the slowest part in the supply chain. Chip supply is fundamentally um, the governing factor on our uh, output. Um, it is difficult for us to say how long this will last because uh, we, we don't have, it's, 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 it's this is, this is out of our control, essentially. Um, it, does, it does seem like it's getting better, um, but uh, it's hard to predict. 
Elon Musk there. Well, joining us all the way from Laguna Beach this hour, Ross Gerber, the CEO of Gerber Kawasaki. Ross, I believe you've got a holding in uh, Tesla, so we should bear that in mind as we have this conversation. Uh, the numbers looked impressive. Give us your take. Well, I mean, these numbers are even better than I thought, and I'm considered you know, one of the bigger Tesla bulls. So I was really pleased to see Tesla increasing their margin. It looks like the few uh, Model S Plaid sales they had really helped goose margin as well as just excellent execution in the scale of the business now, uh, having the highest profit margin we've seen for Tesla Automotive. So we're really excited about the numbers. We're quite used to the regulatory credits uh, pumping up these figures. They almost flattered to deceive, but actually they only made up a, a relatively modest uh, part of the revenue this time round here. So does this set us up for a successive series of better revenue and profit numbers, do you think, going forward? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just ran the clip about Elon talking about the constraints with chips, which is a real issue for everybody. Um, but when you look at the fact they're not even really selling Model S or Xs right now, which is their high margin car, and they have the capacity to do 80 to 100,000 of these cars a year in a typical year, the upside for Tesla in the second half of the year could be substantial if they're able to get these Model S's produced and out. And so it's been choppy, you know, that production line, but but boy, it, it contributes a lot. And so when you think out over the next 12 months, if they can alleviate, alleviate some of the supply shortages of chips, you know, Tesla's just killing it. You know, there's no other spin yeah, look, Ross, I think we can all agree it's doing really well. And the margin improvement, great. I, I think we can all ignore the Bitcoin story as a sideshow, uh, at the moment at least, anyway. But 114 times forward as well. I get that it's a good company. I get that it's a trailblazer. I get that Elon Musk is an extraordinary, colourful gentleman who you just can't not listen to as well. But 114 times forward at this stage when there's a hell of a lot of rivals coming up the rails on electric vehicles. Yeah, but you also have to look at it a little different. First of all, their growth rate is 100%. So actually, their peg ratio is is one, which is actually low for the market. And you have to also look at what's happening with Texas and, and what's happening with Berlin. So they have already the installed base to double production in the next 12 months if they're able to get the factories up. So I 100% agree, this is not a cheap stock, and it certainly values Tesla's success and dominance in the EV market. But what it doesn't value is the upside of what Elon was talking about with this autonomous EV fleet of the future. When you really think about the technology that they have, whether it's in cell production and battery production or full self-driving, you know, they've, they are the juggernaut in several industries. So I think we're going to see Tesla being probably three to five times bigger in the next five years. So there's enormous upside. That's why it's the top holding of my fund, GK, uh, listed on the New York Stock Exchange and at my firm as well, as far as an individual stock. Fair point, Ross. Okay, lithium, nickel, cobalt, these, and plus the semiconductor shortages, plus potentially labor shortages for skilled engineers as well. These problems, I, I know that Jay Powell will brush a lot of things aside uh, as transitory at the moment. It fits the mandate from the central bank as well. Of course, it's got their meeting over the next couple of days as well. But these kind of shortages and these kind of price hikes, they're not going away, are they, Ross? I just wonder what your take tying those two stories together is. Right. And I think when they mean transitory, look at it a certain way, like 
prices are going to rise to a certain degree across the board for everybody. But once that price increase happens, let's say 5 to 10% over the next year or two, what we really see is then prices just leveling off from that point forward. So I think when the Fed says it's transitory, they're talking a, a little bit longer term than I think what investors' time horizon is, which is the next 12 months for most investors. So so I think when you think about still the resurgence of Delta, the issues we face with just global economies in China, I mean, there's lots of things that can slow the economy in two years from its really blistering pace today. So, so I'm not really worried about inflation longer term. I, I think deflation is a much bigger factor in the world. I find that quite extraordinary. But, but, but Ross, just specifically taking that, and it's, you know, another good answer again, but going back to those commodities I mentioned, lithium, cobalt, nickel, I mean, really, you think they're going to level off? And if they do, what, it's going to take up to two years to level off? Well, no, you're talking about specific commodities that are really important for battery EV production, which we're heavily invested in. Actually, that is my other largest position in my fund is in the lithium and battery technology area. So so it's not just Tesla. We think the demand for batteries and these commodities will be enormous. And I do think there will be cost increases in these commodities in specific. But what I'm talking about is inflation as the whole on the consumer level. And if you look at the value proposition of EV versus an ICE car over the total cost of ownership, even if costs have gone up on EVs, which Tesla has risen its prices, I think it's relatively nothing compared to the cost benefit you get from owning an EV. Ross, just briefly on China, uh, what it's something like a third of sales at the moment for the vehicles, and yet we know it's a quarter that's uh, been marked by some difficulties in the Chinese space. What's your expectation going forward here? Do you think Elon Musk has managed to smooth over some of the wrinkles with the Chinese authorities? Well, I think that's a big, you know, risk that all U.S. companies face doing business with China right now. I really think China is really more trying to take control of the power in their economy away from the billionaire juggernaut, you know, capitalist companies that have succeeded in China. So I don't know if Tesla is per se a target of the Chinese government as much as really the tip of the sword of EV development for many of the Chinese companies, which are becoming leaders in the global EV market. So, so I am concerned about you know Apple, for example, and Tesla in China, but I'm also very bullish because the idea of cornering the technology in EVs is really a Chinese goal. And by keeping Tesla happy there, it gives them an edge that I think a lot of other countries like in Europe really need to be focused on which are moving a lot slower than Chinese companies. So, you know, there's a lot of risks. You guys brought up a lot of real risks that Tesla face, whether it's supply chain or China and production issues. Um, but, you know, just the same, the reward is substantial when they succeed. It's not if. Excellent, sir. Really appreciate you joining us. Thank you very much indeed. And, and some really interesting comments as well. Ross Gerber, who is the CEO of Gerber Kawasaki. OK, let us move on uh, from one uh, a company that's in a bullion position to another. Uh, sales at the French luxury giant LVMH have surged past expectations in the second quarter. Key brands such as Dior, Louis Vuitton and Fendi, all filling Jeff Cutmore's wardrobe, uh, drove an 84% increase in revenues over the quarter as the group expanded its market share. Charlotte joins us with more. Charlotte, uh, just run us through the numbers. 
Good morning, Steve. Well, LVMH continuing with his pretty extraordinary uh, rate and here continuing with these numbers as you say Q2 sales up 84% to 14.7 billion euros and profit reaching 5.3 billion euros of course remember that the uh, the first half of last year was when the business was most impacted by the pandemic and the lack of international travel so of course we see these these numbers here cut significant but it's interesting to compare of, of also to the numbers of 2019 to strip out this pandemic effect and that there the profit from recurring operations was up 44% compared to the 2019 levels uh, and sales as well up 14% compared to 2019. So we see that LVMH very much comforting their advance in what they, they really are the bellwether in the luxury sector. They've really benefited in a way from the pandemic. We see really this flight to quality and some smaller luxury brands suffering while LVMH has really benefited from the, the coming back to the reopening of the economy. So looking at the different divisions for LVMH, as usual, fashion and leather here that made the lion shares of their profits still doing very well. Uh, the revenue there up 120% in the second quarter and up 40% compared to 2019. One spirit also doing well. They had a good performance in Champagne and Cognac in China in particular. Jewelry doing well as they, they mentioned Tiffany's. Of course, they acquired in January for $16 billion. Said that Tiffany's performed extremely well since its acquisition. The only bit of the business still suffering a little bit, of course, is travel retail. They said the lack of international travel still impacting that part of the business the, the business looking at the regions is still asia the most important market that's still extremely important that part of market sales were up 86 percent in the last quarter and they were still up 55 percent this quarter the us northern america is still doing very well as well an interesting point is that europe that was still down in the first quarter is finally coming back and we see the economies reopen in europe and some of the restrictions being lifted where their sales were up 87 percent in Europe in the second quarter. Now we're hearing from the CFO last night after the result, said they, they see no weakening in the Chinese consumer demand, the all-important Chinese consumer, of course. And they said they have a little bit of room and maneuver to reinvest in the second half of the year, including in marketing spend for the second half of the year. And they're looking at doing small investment as they see, they've been doing in the past few months, but no large acquisition as they are all focused on integrating Tiffany's further uh, in, the, in the months ahead, Steve. Thank you for that, Charlotte. Right, Michelin has raised its forecast for the full year after seeing a strong rebound in growth in the first half. The French tire maker and auto parts manufacturer now expects operating income of 2.8 billion euros compared with previous guidance, 2.5 billion euros. The company posted a near 20% increase in the first half sales, but warned supply chain disruptions could hit demand in up coming months. There's a thematic here, isn't it? Every single company we've mentioned today, Jeff and I'll talk about this in a few moments' time, every single company has had fantastic numbers, knocking the ball out of the park. And what are the risks? Shortages. Labour, semis, raw materials. It's all transitory, apparently. Uh, anyway, we're going to have more from Michelin when we speak to the CFO, Yves Chapot. Uh, do not miss that first on CNBC interview at 800 CET. Uh, elsewhere, okay, well, okay, uh, you know, I haven't even read this one yet, so let's just see what another company has to say, shall we? Logitech, here we go, has posted a 66% jump in first quarter sales as work from home demand continues. The Swiss American manufacturer of computer accessories says its operating income doubled to $235 million in the three months leading up to June, but the group maintained its guidance for the full year, expecting sales growth 
uh, up to 5%. Right, SK Hynix has reported. Again, I haven't read this one, so we can just do this together, guys. We can find out if there's a company this morning that we're reporting on that doesn't have uh, a fantastic set of numbers and doesn't have the same supply chain issues. Anyway, here we go. SK Hynix has reported... Here we go. It's biggest quarterly profit in two years, coming in at 2.7 trillion won, up from 1.9 trillion last year. The South Korean chipmaker, one of Apple's key suppliers, pinned the earnings boost to increased demand for computer storage and memory, along with a global shortage in semiconductors. It said it expects demand to remain strong as consumers upgrade their devices to 5G. All right, coming up on the show, Randstad, number one here, posts an upbeat outlook after reporting 200% year-on-year growth in the second quarter net income. We will speak to the CEO, Jacques Vandenbroek, after the break. Yeah, and if you want to hear more about uh, fashion and leather and how well fashion sales are going and how well Elon Musk is doing, then I suggest you check out the Squawk Box podcast, uh, available from all podcast resellers. We'll be back right after the break. Stay with us. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal, and me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Right, let's uh, recap on the Randstad second quarter results as well. They're saying based on our strength of our performance in the first half, we are optimistic for the remainder of 2021. Although we are still exercising caution whilst pandemic-related instabilities and limited visibility remains. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go straight to the CEO on the back of that because I think that's a fascinating line as well. So I am delighted as ever to be able to speak to Jacques Vandenbroek, who is the CEO of Randstad. Jacques, always a pleasure. You know we value your time as well. You've got a great insight to what's going on as well. So um, great um, performance at the moment. Things are looking good. You're happy about the second half of the year as well. But what are these instabilities and limited visibilities that you are concerned about? Good morning. Good morning, sir. Yeah, good morning. Uh, yeah, well, uh, we've seen it in many countries. Uh, even in this country, uh, we opened up and then uh, we had to go into lockdown two weeks later. So, you know, that still plays in the background. But, but having said that, uh, very happy with our H1 performance. Um, we compare it, yeah, we can compare it to 2020 and then we're 38% up. But we're actually comparing to 2019, which was a record year for us. And we're 3% above 219 in the second quarter. So very happy with that. Um, and yeah, so far optimistic. Uh, if you look at the volume numbers into July, first indication for H2. Yeah, that also looks good. Yeah, there's a lovely line, actually, in the About Randstad press relief. And, and, and for viewers who don't know this, we help nearly 2 million candidates find a meaningful job. And I think meaningful is a point there with more than 236,000 clients. Furthermore, we trained close to 350,000 people. That's really interesting. Are there enough trained people in the right jobs at the moment? Because I know that the jobless figures are still not where we want them to be as a continent uh, and indeed as other continents as well, like in the United States as well. But the fact of the matter is, I know for a fact there are huge job shortages in the right trained people. Just to explain the situation as you see it, Jacques. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And, and that is very much where we are. Uh, the pre-COVID uh, trends in the labour market are back. Uh, so that's a mismatch. 
so we have people that still want to get into the labor market, but uh, yeah, their capabilities are not what uh, employers are asking. Um, and that yeah plays well for us as an industry. Uh, you, you mentioned the 300,000 people uh, that we trained, and we're still doing that. I absolutely expect uh, more of this. Uh, people are getting from some sectors. Certainly now, eh, on the short term, we've seen many people uh, from the airline industry uh, working in uh, testing uh, on COVID, uh, and they might be in different jobs, either short term or mid term, and we're there to help. Short term training or longer training. Yeah. Jack, can we talk about um, the cost of labour, if I might? Um, what are you seeing in terms of uh, wage pressures, uh, uh, demands for higher compensation? Anecdotally, we're hearing a lot of stories about companies having to increase their labour bill or even offer one-off incentives to get people to uh, cross the threshold. What's your experience been and is it possible to put an average figure on that? Um, no, it's not possible to put a global average figure on it. We do see wage inflation in the US, let's say 2-3%. Um, nothing out of the ordinary compared with other uh, parts of an upcycle, if you might want to call it like that. Um, in Europe, not yet. Uh, Europe is very much uh, driven by still government support in some sectors, but also collective labor agreements. So it doesn't go up overnight on an individual basis. Uh, but in the US, definitely some signs of wage inflation, yes. We've got a lack of visibility, really, about the labour markets in some of these Western economies. While these government support programmes are in place, most of them seem to fade out in the third quarter. What do you think will happen after that with labour market trends? Are we going to see things like the participation rate go up as people are no longer subsidised to stay at home? Um, yeah, well, we always have a lack of transparency in our business. So I always say around uh, six weeks. We're now in July. So in that sense, September is really going to be a telling month. Um, the sectors which are still supported is, uh, well, give or take less than eight, nine percent of the economy in most Western European countries. So I don't expect a lot of blowback from that. Uh, what I can say to everybody uh, listening on this call or looking uh, at this call, uh, there's a lot of work. Um, so, you know, uh, come to the likes of us uh, because we can help you if you want to work more. Um, totally possible. But you might be facing uh, a different sector. But that's exciting, right? Trying something new. Yeah, no, definitely aren't going to pop over just yet. Actually, hopefully not. Anyway, Jacques, but 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 well, as far as we know, anyway. But but the, the, the point being here is every single company that I have mentioned on this channel this morning and that Jeff's mentioned as well is knocking the ball out of the park in many ways. It doesn't matter if it's Tesla, Michelin, yourselves. We're going to speak to Bernard Chalet in a little bit of time about Dassault, and they're going to be great numbers as well across the board. Corporates are doing very well, and there are labour shortages and there are supply shortages as well. Do you think? that the European monetary authorities or global monetary authorities are just looking at the wrong data? <laughs> yeah, well, this is really data, right? So uh, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, we did expect uh, a spike in the economy. Um, so, But what needs to happen here from a policy point of view is uh, governments and the private sector really looking at the labour market. Because in Europe, by and large, we've got public employment policies uh, they're not up to par. They're going to react too late. It's not data-driven. So we really, really need to sit down to see what's the supply, what's the demand, and how can we make ends meet, either in-country, in-region, 
uh, or uh, through increased global immigration. Uh, so that's really a theme. Otherwise, yeah, we, we might be hampered for uh, the next phase of economic growth uh, because of a lack of people. And that's not what we should be doing. <laughs> uh, individual companies, by the way, also need to face the music. You need to have a talent strategy for the longer term and not wait for policy changes, right? That might take time. Uh, so, yeah, be aware of the fact that uh, you also have an internal mismatch. That's what we're seeing with many companies also. And how do you get hold of the right people? Uh, Jack, that's the end of the interview. Well, that's the end of the serious questions. What's with the, the cars behind you? I love it. I know it's a, a 2CV. Is it a piece of art? It looks fantastic. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's my personal hobby. Uh, they come out of uh, French comic books and they're all scenes of those comic books. So, yeah, uh, my wife's very happy that I keep them at the office, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew of, I know a few gentlemen like that who have to keep their hobbies hidden away or put in some strange spare bedroom or in a garage or something. Jacques, lovely to see you, sir, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you very much indeed. Jacques uh, Vandenbroek, CEO of Randstad. It reminds me of Jeff Cutmore. He has to keep all his hobbies away in, when he's... Uh, playing with his engines and things. Uh, right, let us move on. Uh, I've got some interesting stats, actually. Hang on a second. I'll take a while. Right, here we go. Okay, let's have a look at the markets. Um, the, the US indices, again, do you remember yesterday we were looking at the futures towards the tail end of this program? And we were saying, yeah, cool down again, but don't worry, because these markets only have a one-way direction at the moment. And uh, again, that's not just a flippant comment. That is actually the case, that, that no matter how much the bears try and throw at this, maybe it's something to do with Two things we've just mentioned with Jacques there. One, the monetary policy, and two, the fact that companies keep knocking the ball out of the park. Uh, look, couldn't be smaller margin. Well, it could be. It could be 0.01. But anyway, 0.03 Nasdaq up, another record. S&P, another record. Dow, um, another record. Remember I said about Boeing being you know, quite an aggressive player? And uh, anyway, that was up another 24 points worth of the Dow. Uh, yesterday as well. So records galore as well. And, and there's some great, actually, I, I'm not paid to promote CNBC Pro, but there's some really good articles on there uh, about um, the actual real yield you're getting off treasuries of, or you're getting off boons at the moment and, and how negative they are at the moment as well. So let's have a quick look at those treasuries as well. I'll just show you. So you've got 1.28. And this is the point for many of you out there. You've got labor shortages in many, many areas where there are growth areas. The, 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 the COVID trades, you know, the work from home trends, the, um, the, the, the technology trends and what have you. You just can't get hold of the laborers in many cases as well. So there's two different labor markets here as well. And, and Jeff's point was well made about what happens with the labor market when those who are paid in some fashion to not be in the workplace and come back again. What's going to happen there? That, that is a big uh, unknown. But look, 128 still on the US Treasuries. And we've got this Fed meeting, haven't we? Do they really want, do, does Jay Powell really want a 128 yield on the, on the 10 year when you've got PPI with a seven handle, when you've got CPI with a five handle? And actually some of this may take at least three, maybe even six months, maybe longer into 2022 uh, to, to, to come through in this inflation, if it is transitory, to just calm down a little bit as well. Is he sending out the right message? The point I was going to say is it, we've got a chap called Robert Hum who sends us some great data as well. I'll just give you one or two of the bits, okay? And he says, uh, and I think he's quoting uh, Bank of America on inflation. He says, inflation mentions uh, have run to a high up 1,000% year on year. And this is in the corporate reports, yeah? That's even higher than the first quarter, where it was up 900%. Just think about that. Inflation is being mentioned up 1,000% more than it was a year ago in the corporate reporting. That's staggering, isn't it? 
No? Or is it just me? I think it is. Right, let's have a look at the Asian indices. Very quick look at these as well. Um, again, Hang Seng under a lot of pressure. Again, there's some really good copy on our site actually about the dangers at the moment of investing in stocks that have a China exposure or majority China owned as well. There's some real questions there. Shanghai Composite's found a bit of form. It's flattened off after the sell-off yesterday. Nikkei, once again rallying. Um, and the ASX 200 up five tenths. Well, I've, got to, I've got to mention Olympic. Is anyone watching Olympic? I'm loving it. Absolutely loving it. It's absolutely fantastic. It's a, and if you're British and your name is Tom, you're almost guaranteed a gold medal at the moment. Seriously. Three quarters of our gold medals have come from people called Tom. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.